Morning Geelong and welcome to Behind the Lights with me, Seb. And me, Jonna. As always, we pay respect to the traditional custodians of the land we're coming from, the Gadigal people of the Aura Nation. Well, Jono, a weekend that was highlighted by the AFL Grand Final here in Australia, but plenty of other sport also took place across the globe. And we'll start with football. And internationals took uh, took centre stage this weekend as the domestic competitions had a break, especially the Nations League and international friendlies. And in some major Nations League results, uh, you're Italians, John. Obviously, the disappointment of not making the World Cup, but they were too good for England, winning 1-0 at the San Siro, relegating England to actually Group B uh, for the next Nations League. While uh, Switzerland upset Spain 2-1, Portugal hammered Czech Republic 4-0, Hungary upset Germany 1-0 in Germany. Uh, Netherlands defeated Belgium 1-0, while Denmark defeated France 2-0. So, Jono, uh, plenty to take out of those Nations League uh, games and some upsets for, for some of the bigger and more fancy nations, especially with the World Cup only uh, a couple of months away. Yeah, I would say the biggest concern is realistically looking at England's perspective as to how they're poor form in this. Look, everybody's not taking it as serious as the World Cup still and everything like that, but especially with the World Cup around the corner, you really should start to really pull things together. This is a great tune-up game where it kind of means something, so it has a little bit more intensity than friendlies, let's say. Um, so I'd be a little bit, I'd be fairly concerned. I think England really needs to start figure, figuring things out. Southgate really needs to figure out who he's playing, where he's playing, what way, style, formation, everything that they're going to do, because otherwise it's just going to be another classic disappointment from England at a World Cup, and they potentially have so much talent on that on that bench throughout that whole squad. Um, so it'd be really disappointing to see them crash out early once again from a World Cup. England do have one more game against Germany uh, before the World Cup in, over the next couple of days. But uh, I guess the biggest criticism of this English team at the moment is, is the lack of creativity, especially out of midfield. So hopefully uh, they can turn that around and start creating those chances. Australia and the Socceroos uh, also took on New Zealand in two-game series uh, over the weekend to commemorate 100 years of the Socceroos. And Australia won the first game 1-0 in Brisbane and won the second game in Auckland 2-0. The, the game in Auckland was highlighted by Garang Kuol, uh, becoming the youngest debutant since Harry Kuehl in 1996 at just 18, year old, 18 years old for Australia. We saw him star against Barcelona yeah. earlier in the year when he was playing for the A-League All-Stars. So uh, some encouraging showcasing of a younger talent there, Jono, for the Australian team, but obviously plenty to work on uh, before the World Cup comes around. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, if you're Australia, you're looking at this as, as really needing to start putting things together. I mean, it's, it's, it's do or die time now. You have a tough group. You know this group from the last time as well, so you know it's not going to be easy by any means. You are definitely not the favourites going out of the group, but you really need to put the work in now to be able to get to that World Cup and perform in that group stage. Uh, over in England, the FA Women's Super League took centre stage while the men obviously were playing the internationals and Arsenal defeated Tottenham 4-0 in front of a record WSL crowd of 47,367 at the Emirates. Chelsea defeated Manchester City 2-0, Manchester United defeated West Ham 2-0, while Everton defeated Liverpool 3-0 in the Merseyside derby, meaning Arsenal, Manchester United and Aston Villa all sit tied top on six points after two rounds. Rugby League, and it was highlighted by the NRL preliminary finals, both in the men's and women's competition this weekend. John Owen, Parramatta defeated North Queensland Cowboys 24-20 on Friday night, while Penrith proved just too good for South Sydney, 32-12, meaning next week's grand final will be played between the two Western Suburbs rivals, Penrith versus Parramatta. 
Parramatta looking for the first premiership in 36 years. Penrith looking to go back-to-back, their third grand final in a row. Jono, it promises to be an absolute cracker, hopefully, on Sunday evening Australian time. Oh, yeah. I think it's it's just going to be a crazy game. The Battle of the West there, I mean, it's going to be fantastic. You know the atmosphere is just going to be... It's just going to be something else. If you can grab some tickets to get to that game, I mean, I would highly recommend it. And it's just going to be all pride on the line as well. I mean, you got one team there that's just kind of made its way into that grand final, snuck its way in, are happy they've gotten to that stage in Parramatta. And then you got Penrith, who's, you know, rightfully so, showed why they are right now probably the best team in the NRL. Um, so, yeah, it's just going to, it just makes for a cracking game. And again, the, the rivalry that these two teams have throughout as well in the history between the two, I think just makes it even more fantastic from a storyline perspective. Yeah, Parramatta showed some real grit and determination to beat North Queensland in Townsville on Friday yeah. evening, obviously led by Mitchell Moses. And as you said, John Penrith, especially that second half, just overran South Sydney. I think the game was turned on that uh, first half intercept by Brian yeah. Toho. Yeah. Right on half time, South Sydney look, were looking like they were going to lead away. into half 12-6. And uh, they were never able to arrest that momentum back from Penrith. Nathan Cleary was classy in that second half, really leading the team around. And um, obviously, they'll go in hot favourites to the grand final. Penrith will also be looking to complete 113-year first, where they they already won the SG ball, the jersey flag, and the reserve-grade premierships over the weekend. And they'll look to add, obviously, the first-grade premiership. So that could be an amazing feat by that club. Uh, in the women's premiership, the semi-finals also played over the weekend, and Newcastle defeated St George thirty points to six, while Parramatta defeated the Sydney Roosters twenty-four ten. So Newcastle will take on Parramatta as well on Sunday afternoon. There, a bit of international rugby as well over the weekend, and the Australian women's prime ministers thirteen defeated PNG sixty-four to six, while the Australian prime ministers men's thirteen also defeated PNG sixty-four to fourteen. So a bit of a tune-up uh, before the World Cup in October. AFL, Jono, we will go into a little bit more detail about the grand final, but Geelong proving far too good for the Sydney Swans at the MCG on Saturday afternoon. They ran out 133-52 to winners. We'll go into a bit more of the game detail later on, obviously where the game was won for Geelong and where the game was lost for Sydney. The AFL women's continued as well, and Richmond defeated Brisbane 18 to 14. Collingwood defeated Essendon 28 to 17. Melbourne smashed Carlton 50 to 8. While Sydney, they nearly won their first game, but were edged out by Hawthorne 35 to 31. Many Brisbane sit top, followed by Collingwood and Melbourne. In rugby, the rugby championship final round concluded over the weekend, and New Zealand continued Australia's 36-year Eden Park. Hoodoo defeating the Wallabies 40 points to 14, while South Africa defeated Argentina 38 to 21, meaning New Zealand took out the rugby championship by one point ahead of South Africa. Cricket and India versus Australia T20 series wrapped up. India winning the three-match series 2-1 after obviously defeating Australia in the third and deciding match. Australia made 7 for 186, but India... Got there with six wickets in spare, to spare, four for 187. Sukha Kumar Yadiv top scored with 69. Basketball, John, and the Women's World Cup in Australia is well underway here in Sydney. And the USA remain undefeated in Group A, while in Group B, Canada sit top ahead of, obviously, their contest against Australia. Well, we'll know that result by the time this podcast goes to air. And the USA, Jono, they certainly remain the firm favourites, especially after their world record score of 145 points against South Korea. The top four teams from each group 
will qualify for the quarterfinals. But Jono, we've seen some great basketball already in the Women's World Cup. Yeah, I mean, it's been fantastic quality so far. And that's that just shows the, the quality of players who are really starting to really come through the women's game here. Um, I think the biggest storyline out of it is not necessarily the U.S. just kind of running through as right now in the group, because I think that was kind of expected. But the struggles from Australia, I mean, coming into this as well, you know, you're notched there as probably the second favorite to win this all, especially being at home. Right now, struggling a little bit. Um, again, by this time, by the time that this podcast goes to air, they could maybe change things, have a big win against Canada. We don't know, but realistically, they they're not off to the hot start that they that they'd want to be in. I think that realistically, they should have gone hand in hand in the group stage and winning all their games with you, you, the United States on the rivaling side. Um, but hopefully, they kick into action and they make it and they make it comfortably out of the group as well. Yeah, the biggest thing for the Australian team is they would want to avoid the USA in that quarter of yeah. the semis. They want to probably versus the US in the potential final there. So uh, we'll see how, obviously, they progress. Golf, Jono, and the President's Cup was won by the Americans against the Internationals. Team USA winning the 2022 President's Cup 17.5 to 12.5. They survived a bit of a comeback by the Internationals there uh, through the President's Cup. Tennis, Jono, and Roger Federer played in his last tournament, the Labor Cup. We saw the emotion yeah. uh, both from Federer and his rivals, especially Rafael Nadal. Unfortunately, him and Nadal could not win the double, their doubles match against Jack Sock and Francis Tiafoe, which proved to be Federer's last game. Team World actually won the Labor Cup for the first time over Team Europe. But Jono, it was all about Roger Federer and obviously uh, finishing... An amazing career, one of the great careers uh, we've ever seen in tennis. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was all it was all about Roger Federer. I mean, that's what it was. That's what it was meant for. I think it was just such a good sight to see as well him playing with Rafa and the emotion as well that that Nadal had too. I think it really just showed what it wasn't necessarily a rivalry, but what it showed in terms of a bond of being in that top echelon of players. Um, I think we'll we'll probably see the same. You know, it's that same type of uh, mentality of it's. You know, you think this whole Messi-Ronaldo rivalry, it's not necessarily a rivalry. It's also a bond there sitting along the top that, you know, you, you, you think of the game very differently. You act very differently. It's a different stardom and the starship of the, the, the fame that comes with it as well. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a spectacle to see all about Roger Federer and great, great career that will go down in history. Like I said before, argument as the best tennis player of, of all time. You have a very strong argument for that, but fantastic to see him walk off in that fashion to have that much emotion behind all the players surrounding him as well. Yeah, it was great scenes. And now we're left with two of the Fab Three, which have dominated tennis for so long, yeah. um, especially his last decade. NFL, John, week three, and we saw the Green Bay Packers defeat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 14-12. Obviously, the headline by Aaron Rodgers taking on Tom Brady. Well, the LA Rams defeated your Arizona Cardinals 2012 after last week your Cardinals obviously came with that super comeback in their game. The Miami Dolphins remain undefeated after defeating the Buffalo Bills 21-19, while the Philadelphia Eagles also remain undefeated as they defeated the Washington Commanders 24-8. But Jono, what was the biggest thing you took away or so far from week three of the NFL? Yeah, look, I mean, one, for being a Cardinals fan, I think it's going to be a long, long season. Um, we had a bit of a comeback win last week. But it just showed this week that uh, we're not going to be that team that's going to necessarily be contending. Um, and then the Dolphins as well. I think it was really, really impressive for them going to the Bills. Um, you know, I think it's if they've been off to a fantastic season. Yes, we're off to a very, very early start. But still, for them to be able to go into the Bills, I think that was the real test as well. Um, so testament to them for being able to get it done. Um, and then, yeah, you know what? I think that um, in terms of 
Green Bay versus Tampa Bay. I think it's going to be a struggling year for Tampa Bay. I think they're still going to be there, but I think this is just showing you did that, mention that, earlier yeah, in the that, season. that they just don't have exactly what they need to really be that superstar team that's going to always be there at the top. But I think when it comes to playoff times, they'll switch into another gear, but it's good. they're going to have an up-and-down season. I think it's just showing right now. They haven't been too consistent, and this just kind of showed it just once again. The Packers were impressive, though, especially in uh, the heat of yeah. Tampa. It was a hot game out there, and they were, they did well to, to hold on in the end. Also, a little bit of NFL Super Bowl news. Rihanna yep. has been... Uh, Your girl. she's going to be headlining a Super Bowl next year, so that should be a great show in 2023. Uh, a little bit of running news. And Kenya's Elud Kipochage shattered his own marathon world record as he set a time of two hours, one minute, and nine seconds to take half a minute off his previous mark in Berlin. So congratulations to him, and what an amazing run. Well, Jono, as we mentioned a little bit earlier in the show, this weekend here in Australia was headlined by the AFL Grand Final, the MCG. A game that took place Saturday afternoon in front of more than 100,000 people. It was a game that was expected to be close between Geelong and Sydney. Geelong obviously coming into the game on a 15-game winning streak. Sydney coming in on a nine-game winning streak. So both teams top form and obviously had really earned their way there. But Jono, it was everything but that as an 81-point victory for the Cats uh, confirmed their greatness this year and obviously their 16th win in a row and uh, a premiership, their first premiership since 2011. Before we get into a bit more of the detail around the game, Jono, what did you make of, of the afternoon in Melbourne, the atmosphere and obviously how good were the Cats? Yeah, I mean, first off, hats off to Geelong. And it, it, I mean, really, it just read off, it just topped off an incredible, especially end to a season as well. Um, so fantastic season, great to see them essentially winning, which rightfully so proved to be that they are definitely the best team, um, at least as of right now in the AFL. And I mean, I think I speak for everyone that I did not see what happened coming at all. You know, you might have seen okay, tip Geelong as the favorites, but. You did not see this absolute hammering. It was a demolition. It was insane to watch this. You, it just, I, you were shocked. You know, each time you looked at the score, you just said, "How does this even happen?" You know, and you step away for five minutes, and then you come back, and they're up by another 10, 15, 20 points. You know, it was just incredible to see. But again, it just really showed the dominance of Geelong. Um, I think they kind of, even in this, in this whole. Um, final series they really just just kind of cruised through in that sense where it kind of showed maybe as well a little bit as well that the struggles that Sydney had even getting to this point but like I said hats off to Geelong you definitely deserved it as well and you were way way too good on the day as well for Sydney it was obviously disappointing that it was such a margin that last quarter especially it was it was pretty much party time for Geelong there was no way Sydney were coming back but even in that first quarter that first 10 minutes was actually quite tight. Both teams were really uh, committed and it looks like both defences were going to hold up. But then Geelong just went bang, bang, bang. And before you know it, they were six goals up in that yeah. first quarter. Sydney, there were a couple of occasions where they where they kicked a goal and, and got within, say, 30 to 36 points. And you thought maybe they could start mounting something. But every time Sydney hit back, Geelong would hit back down the other end and, and sort of keep that consistent lead. And, and then obviously... Going into that second half, they just extended away, and Sydney just could not match them. That midfield, the Sydney midfield just got smashed. Isaac Heaney, I don't think, touched the ball for mm. about half a game, and he's usually such a dominant presence for, for Sydney. And, and usually when he's going well, Sydney are going well. Um, I thought 
Geelong's captain, Joel Seld, was absolutely immense. Yeah. Uh, the th- he's 34 years old. Uh, he won his fourth premiership. As I said, it was the Cats' first since 2011 and 10th overall. Well, also, I guess, in a... In what was a good story and, and, what, and a premiership breakthrough, Patrick Dangerfield, who obviously moved to the Cats, his hometown in 2015 from Adelaide, to obviously to move home, but also to win a premiership. And he finally got his first yeah, one after yep. 15 years in the league. And Isaac Smith, uh, a Hawthorne veteran who'd won three premierships with Hawthorne, moved over to Geelong, was awarded the Norm Smith Medal, best on ground, after he kicked three goals and had 32 disposals. All-Australian Tyson Stengel also for the Cats uh, proved immense as he kicked four goals. And I thought, John, and you could sort of see this during the game, I thought the Sydney defence struggled to handle Tom Hawkins especially. His strength and his presence, they just couldn't get around him. He kicked three goals, four. And on the other end, Lance Franklin could not get into the game. He kicked one behind. Do you think, John, I... And we'll look at Sydney a little bit closer in, in a sec. But do you think also this was almost a year too early for Sydney? A lot of people, we know how talented and how many good youngsters they have. The average age is 22, 23 in that team. But do you think on the day experience also told where Geelong just, they obviously took grip and they just did not let go um, of that momentum they built. Yeah, definitely. And I think that when you look at the difference in squads as well, as you pointed out, there's multiple names there that could have won the, the player of the game. You, you, you really, could have given it to any of the yeah, Geelong you, players. You really could have given it to anyone. As you said, you know, it's kind of headlined by Smith and Dangerfield and them, but realistically, you could have given it to anyone. And that was probably the difference as well, is it's that it's that winning mentality that they had throughout the whole club. Whereas you said, yeah, maybe it is a bit too early for Sydney, where they have a couple pieces there that, you know, you look at them and say, okay, there's some veteran leadership there. But when you look at the whole, the whole everybody who's on that field, maybe it is too young. And this is maybe a building block now for them moving forward. I don't think it's necessarily anything to be alarmed at if you're a Sydney fan or anything. If anything, it's great that they got to this point this year. Still but, an amazing yeah, year. You still, can't take away from Sydney's oh, year, and they deserve to be 100%. in the grand final. There's no doubt about that. They've beaten every, they beat Geelong this year, obviously, yeah. very early on in the season. It was a very different circumstance. There was a lot of emotion around Lance Buddy Franklin kicking yeah. his thousandth goal that evening as well at the SCG. So maybe they did need to play the Cats again yeah. later in the year just to see where they were at, because obviously what this grand final showed was there was still a step that they couldn't take yeah, yep. on the biggest stage. Against, as you said, no doubt the best team this year. And we're both big Sydney fans here, but I can admit that that Geelong have been the best team. To win 16 in a row is quite unbelievable in a competition that we've talked about all year has been so tight yes, and there's so yes. many good teams that could have potentially won this. Yeah, it's a, it, like I said, it's an incredible feat for Geelong. But yeah, when you look at the Sydney team, maybe it is just that part of, as you said, when they be in the last time, so much emotion running through. This time they just... They just got outclassed, and 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 that that's okay when you have a young team. Sometimes you need that as well. You need to learn how even to get there, how to grind to get there. As I said, you look at the difference as well through this whole final series as to what Geelong did to get to this point in terms of almost the ease to get here compared to Sydney, who I think really had to battle. But again, yes, when you got into the grand final, you know maybe it was nerves, maybe it was this. There's a lot of factors that could have gone into play that once you know you got down, you thought, oh, it's already over, I can't come back. It just showed the mentality that these players have. And if this is the young building blocks that you have to build on into the future, and yes, you replace some of those big names like Lance Buddy Franklin and some of those really big heavy-hitting names, but 
you have a strong, strong base now going into the future. So as, as hard as it could have been to see that, and yes, it wasn't really a contest, but as hard as that is to swallow, you know, you think about what's the future. I think it's a really bright future for Sydney right now moving on. Another risk that didn't pay off for Sydney was obviously playing Sam Reid. We knew he was coming in with an injury cloud. We knew it was a potential risk. And we've seen how big he has been for Sydney this year. And he obviously got taken away or subbed off just after halftime. And you could see he wasn't moving right. And I think that was a a big factor, especially up front, because he gives takes a little bit of pressure off Lance Franklin, especially when the game's not going your way. And obviously, as we said, the midfield was being smashed. I think one of the midfielders that could definitely hold their head high was young Chad Warner. I thought he was not too bad considering everything was going on around him, kicking two goals and 29 disposals. And as we said about Lance Franklin, to be fair to him, he wasn't getting much service. And every time there was a ball kicked into him, he had about three or four Geelong defenders all around him just smashing him. So to be fair to him, when you're midfield and and you're struggling to make space, and, and every time Sydney had the ball, it seemed like, they had no space and no time. Yeah. Every time Geelong had the ball, and we've seen this, you can see this in multiple sorts, yeah. when, when a team has time, they were almost able to caress the ball around. It looked like the MCG, there was two MCGs yeah, they were playing on. Big, yeah. Every time Sydney had the yeah. ball, they were under pressure. They had to move super quick. So I think that was also a, a big factor um, in the way the game went. Jono, looking at next year, I know it's very early on, and we, we've just obviously just finished this season. This is the Swans' third grand final loss in a row. Looking at this young team, do you think they will be able to bounce back next year? We know John Longmire is one of the best coaches in the game. Do you think uh, they will be able to bounce back positively next year? And obviously, this won't hopefully put them off too much in regards to to being able to come out and um, you know take that next step, which is potentially, and I guess where they're looking at, is to win a premiership. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, it's it's not going to be easy by any means. And I mean, we see this year on year out, sometimes, you know, you kind of say, oh, this team needed a big loss to then be able to get that fuel and kind of go forth. And it doesn't necessarily always happen. But in saying that, this team having that core so young, I would say, that maybe this is what they needed in the sense of getting that experience. Now, I'm, I don't think that it might not be an overnight thing where the next year they're right back there. But it could be where... Next year, they're competing again. There's a potential for them to make the finals, the grand final. Then it's, okay, well, we need actually just one more piece of the puzzle. You know, we got we have some aging vets that are leaving. Okay, we need to replace. Okay. Then maybe it's in the next two to three years. So I'm kind of seeing it as, okay, let's look at this picture for the Swans. I think it's going to happen again in the next two to three years, I would say. I'm not necessarily saying and sold on the fact that they're going to be right back up there next year. It might take that extra bit, but... Yeah, I still think the future's bright for them. I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with for the next couple of years. So if anything, Swans fans, you have something to be looking forward to moving forward. I think the bright thing is, I think they're ahead of where people expected them to be. Even yeah. maybe where they expected to be in terms of if they're really honest with themselves. They probably wanted to obviously play finals this year. But making a grand final is probably maybe a little bit of a stretch in terms, yeah. of, in terms of where they realistically thought. Looking at Geelong, Jono, do you think this could potentially be a sustained period of success. We know a couple of their veterans are getting old, so there's going to have to be some regeneration over the next two, three years. Dangerfield, Selwood, they're not going to be able to go forever. But do you see a Geelong team here who still have got some really good youngsters as well? And they've built a little bit differently to Sydney, but do you potentially see them maybe in the next couple of years 
doing a potential double or three-peat uh, in terms of premiership success. Yeah, I mean, look, based on what they were able to do, especially late in this season, as we said, for the last 16 games there in particular, um, I do see them as probably you know, a huge heavy hitter again next year. Again, as you said, with those aging of some of them, it kind of depends on how they how they embed some That's of their the next talent. Yeah, it's, it's, it's how do they transition that um, because they have been such an integral part to the squad. Um, so in terms of sustainability, that it's going to be on that. But for the f- short-term future, let's say, I do see them definitely still being a force to be reckoned with. Well, congratulations to Geelong and Chris Scott. A thoroughly deserved victory. And, and I, I'm sure the people of Geelong and the, and the town of Geelong will uh, certainly be celebrating this one. John, looking at another AFL story and a little bit of a, a darker note here. Um, so allegations came out during the week. Um against the Hawthorne Football Club. So these these allegations occurred uh, in the mid-2000s. Uh, so maybe, you know, five years ago when they were uh, in the middle of such a successful reign. So obviously that 3P between 2013 uh, and 2015. Um, what's been, uh, what, what's come out in terms of the allegations is the club demanded the separation of young First Nations players from their partners and pressured one couple to terminate a pregnancy for the sake of the player's career. So now the report is with the AFL Integrity Unit. So obviously they're looking at uh, the allegations and obviously seeing if these allegations are true. So the Hawthorne club staff that uh, were involved or potentially involved in this was four-time premiership coach Alistair Clarkson, who's actually just recently signed a lucrative five-year deal with North Melbourne, um, and former assistants and now head coach of the Brisbane Lions, Chris Fagan. So the reviewers... Uh, Similar to the Collingwood's Do Better review of 2021, which we saw come out with with some of the racism that had occurred at Collingwood. But, John, looking at this report and these allegations, how concerned should you be about a sporting organisation acting in this way? And if figures such as Clarkson and Fagan are brought into this and, and it comes out that they were an integral part of, of knowing that this was occurring... How concerned should you be that sporting organisations, where it should be a safe place, and they yep. always talk about acceptance and, and everyone can be involved in a sporting organisation, regardless of race, colour, culture, etc., etc. How concerning is this that this report's coming out now? And do you think we actually will start seeing more of this in terms of the, especially the way society is moving in the direction of this behaviour is not okay? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this 100% is, is not okay what, what, what's all come out. Um, I think it's absolutely terrible. Um, and, I, and again, I also think that's terrible. That it hasn't been spoken about until now as well. Um, and I do think that, yeah, we're in, a, we're in a time where maybe people feel a bit more confident in speaking up about these issues as well, that maybe we've given a bit more of a platform to be able to speak about these issues and, and speak about the horrific uh, scenes that they had to, that, 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 that happened then. Um, but this is, this is something um, that... You know, we, we say time and time again, especially in particular, it seems like with the AFL, oh, they need to do a thorough investigation. Some stuff needs to happen. Well, it's, it's again, time and time again, it's, it's, it's that tiring saying of, okay, we need to see this action happen. When are we actually going to see the change? When are we actually going to see this actions happen? And I think it's, it's, it's going to be a really big stance for the AFL to make sure that they do a thorough, thorough investigation as well with this. Because there's some big names as well that are associated with this in terms of leadership and coaching perspective too. Um, and what implications is that going to have on them as well moving forward? Um, it's absolutely terrible to see this. 
Um, it's terrible to see this in any in any certain context. And as you said, sport in general, whether it's AFL, whether it's rugby, whether it's football, whether it's basketball, is supposed to be a uniting factor. It's supposed to unite. You're supposed to take a step back. It doesn't matter where you come from, your job, anything. It's it's it, you're just there for the love of sport. And in particular, when you think about people who just joined a club, you know. This is this is a huge thing for them. This is a big change in their life as well. They should be able to feel supported, not have them separated from their families or stuff happening with their unborn, you know, soon to be born child children as well. This is just absolutely absurd that this kind of stuff and behaviors have happened. Um, and it's not good enough. You know, you, it's, it's, it's not good enough that that things aren't being done, that things weren't done. So this needs to be a really, really strong stance because it's tiring to see this time and time again that when you think you're making a couple strides forward, you just take those two steps back every time it seems to be. So the incidents mentioned in the report uh, happened according to the families of three players interviewed by ABC Sport. And John, as you said, the forcing of, of you know, tearing families apart or, or forcing players to choose between you know, families and, and their career, or as you said, pregnancies, which is just unbelievable in terms of a club putting those sort of lines to their players. Do you think it, it just, again, underlines, especially here in Australia, and we've seen, hey, if this is not the first time with AFL, we've seen, we had the Adam Goods, we've had the Colin, we've, there's been so many instances down the years and, and lines, and it seems to, it's great to have Indigenous around, it's great to have, um, all these structures where, where we're able to get indigenous young indigenous players into the system, but they all just seem to just be platitudes. Then, if, yeah. if in terms of what's happening internally in clubs, if this sort of action's happening, then what good is it to have an indigenous round? What good is it to have um, pride rounds? What good is it to have any of these rounds yeah. if 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 nothing's actually really being done in terms of the education of players, coaches, clubs, organisations, where these reports continually or seemingly continue to come out in terms of the way, especially in this case, First Nations players are treated within a football club, whereas we've said it should be a safe space. So do you think, and reading a Stan Grant article during the week, do you think this again just, just showcases the deep-seated racism which still exists in Australian culture? Yeah, and, and I think you touched on a great point in terms of these indigenous rounds and if they're you know pride rounds and everything it just makes it seem we're just a tick box thing you know it just it just exactly. seems it's just a tick box thing hey how do we make sure it seems like we're doing something in this space oh look let's make a round about it and let's keep on going that's what it seems like you know it, it, there needs to be better systems in place there needs to be better processes in place there needs to be better protections in place as well and there also needs to be better re- representation at different levels too i mean where where do we see? Are there any you know ownerships um, you know that that are First Nations led? Is there any you know executive leadership groups as well, or even consultants to the executive leadership? And you can't tell me there's no one out there that's not good enough for those exactly. jobs or roles. Yeah, it is just ridiculous that there's still in this day and age that there isn't that. And you even look at it in terms of Australia as a whole, the from a political landscape, where is that representation everywhere? You know, we don't even have that right now, realistically, in the political landscape too. So we need better representation across the board here in this country. Um, and I think it's showing time and time again. And again, these rounds, as you said, they just look like tick boxes right now until things are done. And this just shows as well that there's still problems occurring time and time again that things definitely need to start to change. And I wonder, 
John Owen, I, I wonder if, if this Hawthorne, these incidences that that existed within Hawthorne may have come out if the, te- if the club was struggling. Because obviously this was at a height of, they won four premierships within this period of time. We already mentioned the three-peat between 2013 and 2015. So this was a height of Hawthorne yeah, yeah. in terms of the winning culture. Obviously had a great yeah. team on the field, one of the elite coaches in Alistair Clarkson. So I wonder as well, did did because the club was winning, because the team was winning, being so successful, these stories just got pushed under yeah. the rug. Yeah. These players obviously did not feel confident enough to talk up. Yeah. And they were ignored and, and, and they were pressured to make decisions which no player, but also no person within their workplace should have to make. Yeah, it's and, and as you said, it could be that, you know, once you know, when you're in that winning way, it's just like, no, 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 keep everything quiet. We want to continue on this way. It could have been a different story, you're right. Um, but yeah, it's really unfortunate that, that these players have been subject to this this kind of essentially abuse as well, um, in, in terms of what they had to endure through this time. So just very sad to hear this. And we'll see as this continues and an investigation actually takes place. Like I said, I hope it's a very thorough investigation and they do show everything that they did uncover in the time. Yeah, if these incidents did occur, the people and that were involved within the club, including Alistair Clarkson and Chris Fagan, they should be punished for yeah. these actions because this is not acceptable. doesn't matter what workplace is in, but in this workplace within the football environment, this would absolutely not be happening at a club level. So as I said, we'll, we'll definitely keep a close eye on this and see what the integrity unit comes out in regards to the report. Well, John, I went to a little bit of a light note as always. Five quick questions I've got you this week. Let's do it. Let's go, mate. All right. Who wins the NRL Grand Final and what will the score be? Oh, um, look. Uh, you did tip Parramatta to get yeah. through. I'll uh, I'll say I'll go with my heart again. For some reason, I lean towards Parramatta. Maybe oh. it's because the people I surround myself 36 with. Thirty-six-year drought to finish. I will say the Battle of the West. They'll take it through. They'll in a shock performance against Penrith. They'll take it through. Look, score. I. Oh, I don't. I don't know what the scoreline's going to be up, but I, I could see them winning by very, very tight margins. Uh, but uh, I'll tip Parramatta by very tight margins. I, I just don't know. It could be either. It could be crazy. But ah, so Parramatta in a tight one. Yep. On Sunday evening, number two, John, and this is a question that has continued to be raised, especially with England's uh, recent performances in the international scene. Should Jude Bellingham, obviously the young Borussia Dortmund star start for England at the World Cup. We know some of the issues with the midfield. He's a little bit different to what they've got. Should he start only 19 years of age? Um, look, I mean, I could see him starting um, at some point, depending on how, let's say, England go. Because, you know, Southgate kind of gets in these ways as well, though, that once he once he thinks what you know, he wants to be his lineup, he seems he doesn't like to change it, really. Um but I can potentially see that if they continue with a, a little bit of up and down performances that they have right now, I can see them potentially shifting into a little bit of a different of midfield, as you pointed out, and maybe that's how he gets his start. I wouldn't necessarily lock him in as first game one starter, but potentially throughout the World Cup, he might he might get a start. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what that uh, first lineup mm. for England is at the World Cup. Talking about World Cups, the Women's Basketball World Cup obviously continuing here in Sydney, Australia. Does Australia finish top two in Group B? That obviously will mean they avoid America, hopefully, especially in the quarterfinals there. Um, we know they lost their first game, but have recovered with two good wins. Do so they finish top two? 
Yeah, look, I'm going to have to say that they, they, they need to um, because you really want to avoid the United States at any cost in the early stages. The way they play. You really do. And I, and it also, yeah, I, I want to potentially see that big clash That'd at the great. end as well. So, um, yeah, they really need to avoid them. So if there's any motivation in them to make sure that they do, I think it's there right now to make sure that they get the job done. Question four. Uh, Wednesday night, Australian time, the Dally M medal is awarded to the best player in the NRL over the season. At the moment, Ben Hunt was in the lead before the voting went behind closed doors. Does Ben Hunt, the St. George Illawarra playmaker, does he win it? Or can you see someone else take it out? Potentially Nico Hines uh, from the Sharks or, or someone else? Yeah, look, I mean, look, I, I think rightfully so. He had a great season with the Dragons. Um, so I would tip him right now to, to kind of take it home. Um, as you said, he has been kind of tipped as well to, to take He's it home at favorite. this point. So yeah, I'd, I'd give him the quite the little bit of an edge there. Another possible smoke who may be a Dylan Edwards from Penrith as well. Mm-hmm. He's had a great season at fullback. And John, the last one, Sydney United, the New South Wales MPL 1 team, take on the A-League team MacArthur FC this Saturday evening at Combank Stadium in Parramatta in the Australian Cup final. Who wins? And what will the score be? Can Sydney United cause a major upset? Oh, this is going to be a weekend full of upsets. I'm going to say yes. Why not, right? Why not? Score? Par- Parramatta's oh. winning the NRL. So, and Sydney United and Sydney's going to win um, in this. So I'm going to say, let's say 3-2. There's going to be some goals in there. It's going to be dramatic. We're talking 80th minute, something like the 80 to 90th minute winner. Sydney takes it home. Let's 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 make history this week. That'll be an absolute classic. Behind the lights will be out there as well. So hopefully, if it's a three-two classic at Combank, that'll certainly be worth an admission ticket. Well, that brings to the end another episode of Behind the Lights with me, Seb, and me, John. As always, thank you for your support and good night.